0: What what a comforting thought. What a comforting thought that every day we have brand new mercies. Amen. We have to remind ourselves of these. We get used to the tunes and accustomed to the words that we forget the reality that every single day, not just mercy, but his mercies are new every single day. We have what we need, just what we need to move on for him. All right, Job chapter one, we thank you so much. Thank you for the message and song both times. We appreciate that, and we thank God for that middle part. It's just what we need. We like you to see the words, and we like to see them too, so we can appreciate what is happening. We appreciate all those that work hard to make sure that happens. Job chapter 1. Last week, we spent some time here in chapter 1, and I, I went off of my notes and gave you information out of Revelation, out of Ezekiel, out of Isaiah, and I was telling you from my head to to your ear and then I got next the next day in my study and thought well they might want to have it available so I've added it to our notes tonight we'll make it available to you on the screen so that you can have these references in your bible sometimes the pastor will say it quote it reference it but if you don't know where it is you'd like to have a record of that for your notes so we'll make those available and go back and review some of those areas and then verify them with scripture. You know, sometimes you say, well, it's there and it's over there. And the Bible said, the Bible said, like the, like the songwriter said, like the writer said, like what's the name said. Well, I'm going to show you that if the Bible says it, that means God said it. Amen. And so we'll look there today. The portion of scripture that we looked at last week that we'll look at even in more detail tonight is Verse number six, beginning at verse number six, and we'll walk down as far as the Lord will let us go tonight. Verse number six, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. We'll talk about that. Seven, and the Lord said unto Satan, this is a conversation between God and the devil. Whence comest thou? Satan answers. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from Walking up and down in it. That's a long phrase for meddling. That's what he's been doing meddling. How many know the devil is a meddler? Say amen. He was meddling way back in Job's time and he's meddling tonight. Aren't you glad that he's meddling, but he's messing with the wrong person when he's meddling with God? Amen. Now, verse number eight. Okay. Since you're looking for something, let me make a suggestion for you. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? You know you're doing right when God calls you his servant. That there is none like him in the earth. Huh? Now, 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 the human description of Job was he was the greatest in all of the East. But the heavenly description in Job was that there's none like him in all the earth. The world sees you for what you have. Heaven sees you for who you are. Some of you missed it. The world sees you for what you have. Heaven sees you for who you are. Which report card do you want an A on? God's are theirs. It's very important. That's why we're looking at this, to see the perspective from above. There's none like him in all of the earth. Well, what do you mean there's nobody like him in all of the earth? I'll tell you. Perfect and upright. One that feareth God and escheweth evil. That's the same record we had of his character earlier in the text. Verse 9, Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou made an hedge about him, about his house, and all about all he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself. Put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Let the church say Amen. Our Father, we pray you add thy blessing to the reading of your word. Cleanse me of sin, empty me of self, and fill me with your spirit. Thank you for the word tonight. We pray that you'll help us as we dive into it. Help us to see what you have to say to us. And then, Lord, as we see it, help us to seize it and to live it out in our lives so that others can see it in us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. We began looking at this this series pondering the question why do bad things happen to good people say the question with me why do bad things happen to good people say it again why do bad things happen to good this is a question that will resurface itself in our hearts and minds in the in the thoughts of people all the time when they look at what happens. By the way, this happens when there's a shooting. This happens when there's a natural disaster. This happens when there's a war. This happens when there's something that happens to someone who seemingly has done nothing bad or wrong to anyone else to deserve. The question then arises, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, Job is an example of why that question is asked over and over again. So we looked at this question and we began in the life of Job of looking with, uh, to, uh, by looking at his stellar description. The particular country he was from, us uh, the personal character he had. One of a righteous walk, reverent ways, and repulsive wickedness. This was a man that walked with God. God help us in 2024 to find people that walk with God. Listen to me. You can't control what happens on your doctor report. You can't control who cuts you off on the interstate. You can't control who cusses you out. You can't control who runs you down. You can't control who lies and tries to slander your character. But you can control whether or not you walk with God. And Job did. So he was one of a particular country and personal character. One with precious children, 10 to be exact. One of a prosperous condition, somewhere between 56 million to 250 million. He was rich. Richer than anybody in the East. One with a perceptive conscience. Although he was blessed, although he had children, he was in tune with what's going on. He was aware of what was happening. Chronicles puts it this way. Understanding of the times, uh, they used to say the phrase. Sometimes you're so heavenly minded, you know earthly good. I don't think you can be too heavenly minded, but 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 it really is a descriptive way of saying sometimes your head is so far up, you can't see what's going down uh, on the bottom. In other words, you don't want to be just. All you're doing is reading your Bible and praying and talking about God and you're not taking those principles and applying to them applying them to what's happening here on earth. Job had a perceptive conscience. He had children that he had raised, but he knew that just because he'd raised them right didn't mean that they were not subject to temptation and sin. So his perceptive conscience led him to a prioritized consecration. He sanctified the children. He knew that although he walked with God, he had children who would be tempted not to walk with God, and it was important to take the walk that he had with God and try to pass it on to his children so that they walk with God too. Listen to me, listen to me, beloved. Every single one of us has a circle of influence that you and I are allowed to impact. You can't give somebody something you don't have yourself. Some of you missed that. You can't pass on something to someone you don't have yourself, Right? But if you have it and it works for you, don't you think you ought to try to give it to somebody else? so that's what he did. who first, who better to give it to than your own children? who closer to your circle of influence than. Your family. His principled conduct was to offer sacrifices for his children. And this was why he did this. He did this just in case that when they were away from him, they were doing something that they shouldn't do. Watch this now. He walked with God so seriously, so intensely, as if to say, God, if my kids aren't doing right, I'm trying to do more right so that God, you will protect them, if not for their sake, but for my sake. God, help us to move God. And all throughout Scripture, we have watched God move on the behalf of people not for their sake but for someone else's sake we have watched God reserve his judgment to people not for their sake but for somebody else's sake can I ask you a question are you blocking God's wrath by your righteousness are you are you enabling God's blessings on somebody else for your right God help us to quit being so selfish that we're only thinking about what we do and how it affects us. Help us to be selfless and say God I don't just want to live right so you bless me. I want you to bless the people I love. I don't just want you to live right so you have mercy on me. I want you to have mercy on the people that I love. Here's what Job said. If they're not doing right, God, look at me and bless them. Have mercy on them for my sake, even if they're not doing right themselves. Wow, practical consistency. He did it continually. That's, that's the stellar character of Job. Last week, we looked beyond there because the beginning of Job foundationally starts with his, his, his stellar character character or his stellar description. This is how it starts. We start off before we find out what happened to the man. We start off finding out who the man was. Listen to me, beloved. Listen to me. Before your bad times come, you better know who you are. I, I, I said you better know. You, 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 listen, you better be somebody for the Lord before you face some bad things in your life. Because if you're not that before they come, you're not gonna become that while they're coming. If you don't have character before your circumstances go down, you are not going to instantly develop character when they go down, listen what makes Job the man he was during his trial is the man he was before his trial. So, so, so brace for impact. The best thing you can do to prepare for distress is walk with God. Let me say that again the best thing you can do to prepare for distress is walk with God. So, the stellar description readies him, if you would, readies him for severe distress. This is the second area that we're going to watch. And for a great portion of this book, we're going to watch Job engaged, encountering, experiencing severe distress. I'm talking about a good man. I said, I'm talking about a good man, feared God, lived uprightly, Hated evil. I, I, I'm talking about severe distress to a man who raised his kids right. Severe distress to a man who sanctified them. Severe distress to someone who considered consecration a priority. Severe distress to somebody who treated his fellow man right, to severe distress to someone who was respected by those around him. Listen to me. His trials were not a consequence of his sin. They were a complement of his service. He was attacked not because he did wrong. He was attacked because he did right. Now, everybody in the building is being attacked. Let me say that again. Everybody in this building, and those of you tuning in, in some way, in some form of fashion, everybody in here is being attacked. The question is not whether you're being attacked. The question is why. Why everybody? You, you said pray, pray for me, Pastor. I'm going through something. Who's not? everybody's going through something. So the question, the question you need to be asking God is not whether or not you're going through something. The question is, why am I going? Am I going through something because I do right or am I going through something because I do wrong? Because I'm going to go through something. But if I'm going through something because I do right, I've got God on my side. If I'm going through something because I do wrong, i got God going against. Me. Watch this now. You never needed God more than when you're going through something. But if you ain't walking with him before you go through something, he's not your friend. He's your in- Watch this now. God is against you if you're doing wrong and you don't need God against you when you're doing wrong because you already got your attack against you when you're doing wrong so it's a double whammy to go through trials and not be right with God maybe you're not listening to me tonight I mean if you're going to church three times a week and go through a trial it's still a tough trial but at least you got a trial because you're going to church if you're going through a trial and you're missing church not only are you going through a trial now you got chastisement for missing church If you're going through a financial struggle and you're tithing every week, that's a tough financial struggle. But if you're going through a financial struggle and you're not tithing every week, now you got double whammy because now you got a tax on your finances plus you got chastisement for robbing God. So, so, so you got to get yourself together so that you're insulated when those trials come. It's, it's too hard when you're under pressure to try to learn how to walk with God if you've not learned how to walk with God to insulate you from the pressure. Can I get an amen? Now, here's the severe stress. We're introduced to the spiritual arena. What's happening in heaven? Say that with me. What's happening in heaven? Talk to me. What's happening in heaven? That's the key. What's happening in heaven? Look at verse number six, the sons of God. The sons of God, okay? This is what I want you to get in your notes tonight. The sons of God, Job 1, 6. There was a day when the sons of God came to present himself, Present themselves also among them. We see that in Job 1, 6. Now, we're going to see it a couple more times in Job to make sure that we distinguish what the sons of God represents here in Job 1.6. Look at Job 2.1. Again, there was a day when the what? Sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. I want to give you another text in Job 38. And Job 38 is going to define or identify what the sons of God means in the book of Job. Job 38 verses 4 through 7. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Now, could I ask you a question? This is a, this is a class question tonight. If we were to look up in the Bible where to find when God laid the foundations of the earth, where do you think we'd look that up at? Genesis chapter 1, which is, which is called the what? Okay, the the beginning of time and the first several chapters in Genesis give us the record of God's what? Creation. Okay, so when Job 38 verse number four says, where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? That's talking about Genesis when God created the earth. Hey, listen to me. Nobody laid the foundations of the earth but God. There was nobody there to lay it because nobody else was there but God. Okay, so when you're looking for a, a credible account of creation, the only person to ask is the one that was there. So you can't ask Darwin because Darwin wasn't there. You can only ask God because God was the only one there. And God said He laid the foundations of the earth. Somebody say amen that you know God created the earth. All right? Declare if thou hast understanding. Tell me if you have understanding. Next next phrase. Who has laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Who stretched the line upon? We're talking about the boundaries of the earth. Who stretched the line? whereupon are, are the foundations fastened? How, how does the earth foundation stand and hold up? Who laid the cornerstone? Why is it that we're in the world today and, it, and it's not falling apart? Why, why aren't we tipping off somewhere in the world? How is it that the whole globe, the world and everything in it can be held together? I'll tell you why. God not only laid the foundation, he laid the Watch this now. He made the earth so it's still holding itself together today. Can't nobody do that but God. Amen? Now, who laid the corner the cornerstone thereof. When the morning stars sang together, right? And all the what? Sons of God. Everybody listening? And all the what? Sons of God shouted for joy. So there's where we clearly indicate that the term sons of God in Job is not talking about people, because when God created the earth, there were no people. The last creation of the In in the account of the the six-week creation, he rested on the seventh day. The last thing he created was his most, most choice creation, and that was human beings. That was Adam. Okay? So when God laid the foundation of the earth, there were no human beings there who was who, the morning stars sang together stars don't say, listen these are references to angels the sons of god so it's very important when we look at Job chapter 1 verse number 6 we look at Job chapter 2 verse number 1 when the sons of god are mentioned we are talking about angels, angels. now look at Job uh, it's on the screen I'll turn there look at Genesis 6 verse 2 this is where the sons of god as a term is mentioned in Genesis, and it's not talking about angels. Context matters. Say that with me. Context matters. Context matters. Context matters. So that means the words around the verse help define the words in the verse. Sun, what do you mean? In Job, foundations were being laid. The morning star sang. The sun shouted for joy. Well, we know it wasn't talking about human beings because there were no human beings there. So we get the meaning of the sons of God by looking at the other words around the sons of God. The laying of the foundation, shouting for joy, the morning stars. Clearly the sons of God are not human beings. They're angels. Amen. And by the way, the morning stars sang together. The sons of God did what? Shouted for joy. There's no place in scripture where angels were singing. You got quiet. That's okay. It's still true. Okay, people so you sing like an angel. What does that mean? There's nowhere in the Bible where angels sing. See, see, see. In the Bible, the singers, the, singers, the morning stars. I was just talking about. The, you know, we talk about the birds sing, the sound of the creation, singing in even in the Book of Revelation. Even when you gather around the throne, it's not the angels singing; it's the saved people singing. See, when you get saved, God puts a song in your heart. Now, the angels are in the presence of God, but they ain't singing because they've never been redeemed. Watch this now. They've never been lost. Now, the fallen angels, we're going to talk about that a little bit. They left their first estate. They were created as good angels, and they left God because they followed Judas. But those of us that are saved, we sing I, uh, Psalm, chapter 40, Psalm 40 because the Lord has put a new song in our heart, the song of the redeemed. The angels are saying, but the saints are singing. That's why even if you don't have a good voice, you ought to sing because you've been redeemed. Genesis 6, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. Somebody said, Well, I thought sons of God meant angels. Context matters. Say it with me. Context matters. How we know these are angels? How we know these are not angels? Because they look and in, in desire in women. And we know in Scripture that's not some angels do. Context matters. Genesis 6, where this is a debate. People think that the result of this is angels and humans getting together, and then you got these giants in the land, nephonyms, that are a result of an angelic being cohabitating with a human being, and now we got some freak of nature. Stop thinking so deep. These sons of God are the, the godly line of Seth. Remember, Adam and Eve had a son named Cain and a son named Abel. And who killed Abel? Cain, all right? So who was left? Cain. Who was the godly one? Abel. All right? So now the godly one is gone. All you got is Cain. He becomes a vagabond. So we need a godly one, right? So they had another son named Seth. Godly line. Thank God for Seth. Look at your scripture. When you look at Matthew 1, look at Luke 2. It's through the line of Seth that eventually we came all the way down the Lord Jesus Christ. God needed a godly line. Jesus needed a godly line. Aren't you glad he had one? Sons of God. Genesis 6 saw the daughters of men that they were fair and took them wives of all which they chose. God, how can you tell this? Context matters. We know that there were no angels coming down to earth lusting after women. Now we know that there were some homosexual men in Genesis 19 in Sodom and Gomorrah that were lusting after angels, but the lust wasn't from the angels. The lust was from the men after the angels, not the angels to the, can I get an Amen. So just because they were getting lusted after doesn't mean they lust. Amen. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us, that we should be called the what? Sons of God. First sons of God. Job 1. Job 2. Sons of God that were there in the morning when God laid the foundation. Sons of God. Job 1, Job 2 are what? Angels. Sons of God, Genesis chapter 6, they came down to look upon the daughters of men. Those sons of God are what? The godly line of Seth. 1 John 3, John 1:12. as many as believe, to them gave ye power to become the sons of God. Who are they? Christians, every one of us that are saved. How many of you glad you're a son of God? We just saying about whom the son sets free. I am a child of God. Amen. I am a son of God. Say it, context matters. Context matters. So in Job chapter 1, we're talking about. Angels, no question about that's what's happening. That's what's happening in the spiritual arena. In the spiritual arena, guess who shows up? A sure adversary. Somebody tell me who the adversary is, Satan. Who is Satan in his original creation? He's Lucifer. These notes are on the screen. Ezekiel 28, son of man, take up lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, thus saith the Lord, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. In the first part of this passage, Ezekiel's actually talking about a certain king, and then he shifts in the middle of talking about a king and starts talking about the devil. Thou hast been in Eden in the garden of God. Who was in Eden with Adam and Eve? Disguised as a serpent. Y'all read your Bible, don't you? Amen. Precious stone was covering beautiful sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle. The gold workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in the in the day that thou was created. Tabrets and pipes. Wow. Sounds like a musical instrument, doesn't it? That's how beautiful the devil was. By the way, it should not amaze you if he was created as a musical instrument that he would use the medium of music to destroy people. The anointed cherub. He just he, Listen, the anointed cherub. What's a cherub? An angel. So Satan was originally created as what? And according to verse number, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse number, whatever that verse is, 12 or 13 or 14, the anointed cherub. So he wasn't just an angel. He was the top angel. Yeah, that was the devil. The worship leader. That's who he was. He was the worship leader in heaven. There's no, there's no more prestigious worship leader ever been created than the devil. Can you imagine leading worship in heaven? Perfect in thy ways when I was created. Till what was found in thee iniquity? Yeah. And then it goes on to tell us your heart was lifted up. I'll cast you to the ground. You've defiled sanctuaries and the multitude of thine iniquities. All those verses. All thee that know thee shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror and never shalt thou be any more. He fell. Isaiah 14 tells us about the fall of Satan. How art thou fallen from heaven? Here's the question. O Lucifer. What of the morning? What of the morning? There it is again. Lucifer was originally created as what? And what is he called here in Isaiah 14? Son. Of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground? For thou hast said, next verse, in thine heart, I will ascend, I will exalt, I will sit, I will ascend above the heavens, I will be like the Most. What got Lucifer kicked out of heaven? Pride. Yet thou shalt be brought to hell, the sides of the pit. Anybody listening? Created as the anointed cherub, but he fell because of pride. And by the way, you will too. Now, let's talk about the fall of Satan. Who fell with him? How do we gather how many fallen angels are with the devil? Revelation 12, 3 and 4. There's a wonder in heaven. This is in the end times, this is future. This has not happened yet, but it's Revelation telling us what's going to happen. After Jesus comes back, after the tribulation time comes, those seven years. What's going to happen? Look at Revelation 12. There appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, seven crowns upon his head. Talking about the devil. And his tail drew what? Third Third part of the what? Stars of heaven. This is where the stars, referring to angels and did cast him to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. This is where we infer that one-third of all the angels are demons because if the devil is Drawing them to him in the book of the Revelation, then the impression is they've been with him since he fell. Because we don't see anywhere else in Scripture where angels fall. So we have to assume from Scripture when he fell, they fell. And they're following him now because they're going to follow him then because context matters. Amen? Amen? Scripture. Jude says, the angels which left their first estate... Left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains in darkness into the judgment of that day. That tells us there are angels that are reserved in darkness. Why? They left their first estate. You know what that means? That every single angel was created as what kind of an angel? A good angel. So when they went bad, they left the way that God intended them to be. They followed the devil. How many angels are there? Hebrews 12, 22. And to an innumerable company of angels. What does innumerable mean? More than we can count. Amen. Even with a calculator. All right. Revelation 5 11. This is how the number of angels is described 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. You know what that is? Innumerable. So here's, listen, here's the conclusion The number of good angels, how many? Innumerable. Therefore, the number of fallen angels, demons, how many? Innumerable, right? We're in a spiritual battle. So if you think you can beat demons, you're out of your mind because there's one of you and more than we can count of them. The only way to beat demons that are innumerable is to submit to the one person who has power over demons, and that's Almighty God. Satanic activity, I'm almost done. He's a sure adversary, satanic activity. The word Satan literally means adversary or accuser. 1 Peter 5, be sober, be vigilant. Verse 8, for your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom, you, this seeking whom you may devour. That's what he does. Walking around trying to devour people. Listen to what Jesus said to Simon Peter. Simon, Simon. Anytime Jesus would say your name twice, it's because I'm getting ready to tell you something. And before I tell you, I want to make sure you're paying attention. huh? It's like when your parents call your first, middle, and last name means I want you to listen. Don't miss what I'm saying. Jesus could have just started talking, but before he talked, he wanted to get Peter's attention. Simon, Simon, Satan have desired to have you, to sift you as weak. What was Jesus telling Peter? Look here, buddy, you bragging about all you're going to do. You must not know what the devil wants to do. He wants to ruin your life. Listen to me, beloved, tonight, when you're sitting there going through a trial and getting mad at everybody around you, you better realize they're not the ones that want to ruin you as much as the devil wants to ruin you. It's what he does. This is why this is this is why bad things happen to good people. Because there's a devil that wants bad things to happen to you. Why are you talking about this, Pastor? Because unfortunately, bad things happen to people, and their response is to get angry at a good God. And if they would pay more attention to what's going on in heaven, they would realize that God is not the source of bad things. God is the permitter of bad things, and he permits them because the devil landed in earth, tempted the original human beings to do sin, and sin is cycling its course until Jesus rids the world of sin. If there were no sin, there would be no bad, but because there is sin, there is bad. And God's job is not to stop you from all the bad happening to you. God's job is just to sustain you while the bad happens to you. And your job is to qualify yourself for that sustaining by walking with him. So, so here's what I want you to do, church. Stop spending all week long trying to stop all the bad from happening to you. And use your energy spending all week long to walk with the God who can make sure that the bad doesn't destroy you. You're fighting a lost cause if you're trying to live your life absent of trials. But you're fighting an unlosable battle if you're walking with God in the midst of your trials because if God before you who can be against you father thank you for your word for your people touch us, strengthen us enlighten us help us tonight to realize that we're going to face some things in our lives but not to get stuck on how it looks down here but to remember what's happening Up there, Pastor God has spoken to me, opening my eyes, enlightening me to scripture, reminding me of a heavenly perspective, letting me know of what's going on where He sits and where He's in control. And Pastor, that helps me down here when I'm reminded of what's happening up there. Would you put your hand up all over the building? God bless you, Father. Touch your people and use them in your service for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being in church tonight. I trust the message will be a blessing to you.